I'm hardest on the people who I'm closest to and pretty permissive of people that I that are strangers. I will say it's the exact opposite of Amrita. Yeah. <laughs> who's very permissive of the people she's close to and very hard on strangers. Hard on strangers. <laughs> so together we're hard on everyone. <laughs> but also it's easy also on everyone though. Also everyone, easy on yeah. everyone. Welcome to Don't Think Twice. Vijay and Stevens is the writing and producing duo of Amrita Vijay and Andrew Stevens. Best friends, business partners, creative partners, and now soon to be co-parents. We froze embryos together in 2020 and are currently pregnant. There's a lot to get into. Clinical psychologist and dear friend Marina Weiss meets us where we're at. In this episode, how has a lifetime of unconventional choices professionally, personally, creatively, contributed to the decision to make a family in an unconventional way? How do friends evolve into being partners, family, parents? How does our identity as artists play into all of this? How has your decision to be a chosen family been received by people in your life? Most of our, our family, of course, and then most of our friends have been around for uh, years. And because our relationship developed from a very ordinary relationship that is that was easy to understand, and people um, got to know us as friends for years, it's been a very like natural process, almost like people are like, oh yeah, of course, there hasn't been a lot of explaining that has to do from a broader family members and, and things like that. Unfortunately for me, the other, my, my immediate family and my brother and my mom being the two really have to bear the brunt of that uh, more than I do in that they are the ones who are approached to explain. To explain. Yeah. Mm. And do you think they have, do you think that they do a good job of that? I, or you don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Um, but I know their intent, uh-huh. and I don't care if they don't do a good job of it. <laughs> I think that's a fair answer. Mm-hmm. No, because I, because I, I, I think it's similarly probably my family is often put in a position, and like I feel like my sister is somebody who just like she's like, oh, it makes perfect sense and doesn't require explanation. My parents, I think, are probably when they're put in that position probably don't feel like they have the right vocabulary and maybe don't know how to explain it. And I don't know that I've provided them with that, like good, a good vocabulary either. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, I I guess we would maybe ask you as a person who knows us, like that, like it, does it seem to like make sense to, you know, a friend who, who knows, who knows us like, yeah. I mean, and I felt, I think I knew about it before some other people did in some ways, because I was considering some of the processes as well. So I'd talk to you some about parts of it. You mean about actually like reproducing? Yeah, about <laughs> yeah. actually reproducing. Yeah. And so I felt like, you know, excited that I was privy to this like special plan. Mm-hmm. Like I felt like we were all in on a subversive secret. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, by telling me about this plan, you were including me in your special club of chosen family. And it was such an honor for me. And also as someone who had really struggled with this internal conflict between the social messages that you're describing of like wanting to feel that I belonged, that I had people who were tight and important to me and also wanting to feel that I had independence. 
um, and wanting to reject some kinds of like, you know, misogynistic rhetoric about women needing to be completed right, by right, romantic right. experiences, yeah. or being, you know, or so. for that matter, being completed by parenthood. Because mm-hmm. um, that's like the other thing that you can do as a single woman is like, you can just be a single mom. And like, that also helps you like complete the, the, the drawing as you're supposed to or whatever. Um, and, and like that, I think is also like, like the part of like this false binary is that it's like you eat, like if you want to have a kid, you either do it in the confines of your like nuclear closed circuit family, or you do it like alone and make this like unconventional choice to, um, or, you know, sometimes not always a choice, but yeah, you make the choice to like do do it as a single parent thinking about that as also being more of a spectrum of like not just A or B. Have you always known that you wanted children? For me, (laughs) absolutely not. (laughs) And in fact, I think I was pretty assured that I did not want to have children. And I would would say like I was probably over 90% that um, it was not something that I was interested in. It wasn't something that I wanted. So uh, for me, it was more... um, an, of, of an evolution of being able to ha- like how do you think about it of, of like what was it that I was actually rejecting was it the the notion of being a parent or you know having a child like being involved in a child's life or was it like the way in which I was supposed to do it um, and like I think that that took me a really long time to untangle that it's like well the thing that I didn't want was to be in the role like the the like the role as I sort of traditionally conceived it of being like a wife and a mom. Not that that there's anything wrong with that. It's just like that for me, I could never picture myself um, in that script. So um, so for me, then like it was sort of a literal throwing the baby out with the bathwater where it was like, well, then that thing is not for me. So I don't want that. I don't, don't want to think about it. Um, so it really wasn't until the idea was introduced, um, and I can't, I can't, I'm not sure that I can remember how, um, of being able to do it in a different format that felt really freeing to me of like opening the door to a possibility that I had like really completely written off. Um, so, so really being the process of right now being pregnant is I'm, I'm just now thinking of like, oh yeah, like how do I picture myself as a parent? Because I've never done that before. And I think, I mean, I, I, th- I think I presume that the answer is a little bit different for you. I did not always want to be a parent in the sense that there seems to be other people for which that is a top priority, the priority. So if I think about the, the things that I've wanted in my life that I know I've wanted, they all sort of fall in a creative professional capacity. I've always been interested in exploring having a child and having children. It was perfectly fine if I didn't have children in my life. It wasn't perfectly fine not to fully explore the possibility. And by that, I don't mean going to a a sperm bank and a fertility clinic, but really in my mind, thinking through what it means to be a parent, why I'm interested in the possibility. And I always knew I wanted to explore the possibility. But it seems that people who don't have children, 
there's probably there have to be a range too of, of people who are absolutely from the be- very beginning I don't want to have children <laughs> but I also imagine there are people who explore the possibility and determine that for the other things they want in their life a child it doesn't fit it or, doesn't fit right it is not the best for them and that's how I was on having a child I, I want to explore the opportunity but I'm open to getting to a point where it's like actually this doesn't align with all the other things I want to do in my life. So coming back to you for a second, because I think you described like a really interesting shift, Amrita, between thinking that the baby was being thrown out with the bathwater and (laughs) feeling that, you know, actually there was this alternative way of doing it that felt less constraining. Mm -hmm. Could you say more about like when approximately this happened and what led to that? If you had to guess, I think for a lot of women, particularly in our like our exact like age demographic, and I'm talking about like late 30s, mid 30s, late 30s, it, it becomes sort of like a question that's posed to you with a lot more immediacy of like you know the time, the time clock or whatever. And so some of the decisions that we make at this point are less decisions, less definite decisions, and more kind of like kicking the can down the road. Mm-hmm. And that's how I kind of felt about the idea of. Um, you know, which we'll talk about more in depth, but like the idea of like um, freezing eggs, freezing embryos and, you know, going through that process was kind of less a decision that it's going to happen and more a decision to delay the decision. I I, I don't think for me it really clicked into place until we we were like very seriously having the discussion of let's do it now. Uh, And that is why I I, like alluded to like that this process of being pregnant has been me like wrapping my head around that like oh this is going to happen I'm going to be a parent Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm still doing it you're you're nodding because you've witnessed (laughs) me having these like existential crises more on the day to day basis but it's because I I hadn't actually done that work ahead of time like in any logical way. So just for the audience. That was like two or three years ago that you froze your eggs and froze yeah. embryos? Um, that was, yeah, that was... Uh, 2020. 2020. Mm-hmm. It, was 20, it was 2020. Mm-hmm. Right in the middle of su- summer, pandemic summer, mm-hmm. first first summer. Interesting. Do you think that 2020 had anything to do with that decision? Actually, actually not so much um, because we had... We started the process in 2019. 2019, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it was like it was like late fall or late summer, late or fall 2019, um, but it was that the actual process, like the actual procedure, didn't occur until until summer 2020, and probably would have been sooner actually if we hadn't everything hadn't shut down. And then it was like, well, this is a non-essential, like fully non-essential medical thing. Like we don't need to be in a hospital right now, you know. Um, so if anything, it caused a delay rather than a. Uh, hastening. <laughs> well, this 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 part of the process. This part of the process. But I I do think it's a good question to explore how the pandemic impacted our decision making, because I think it did. Awesome. When our professional and personal lives, as all of ours were, were disrupted, um, so completely <laughs> combusted, perhaps. So we we stayed in. We were living in New York. And stayed in our apartments until our leases expired, which was around August of 2020. And we were having conversations, and in, in, you know, and of course, in the summer and the early spring, we had gone through producing embryos that were frozen, viable, and they're frozen. So that had happened, and then we had pivoted to thinking about what are we doing right now? Are we going to sit? sign leases and sit in our apartments in New York City when what we do professionally requires the world to be opened up to a certain degree or Namely events are um, we going to go we can't just on work remotely are we going to go 
on an adventure? Are we going to move when we do something? And so that was when we first lived together. We had never lived together until the fall of 2020 when we spent a month in Detroit and then we still didn't know what we were doing. And then a college friend of Amrita's um, just threw out um, a possibility that Amrita jokingly mentioned to me um, of coming to Cape Cod and working in a candy store. And she said, isn't that funny? And I said, why don't we do that? So we spent three months uh, of the fall of 2020 uh, in Cape Cod. And then from there in 2021, we went to New Orleans. And so all of this time was the first time that we were living together, which I think elevated uh, the degree of intimacy in of conjunction course, with like, already having all those conversations about children. And living together, I think, in... in uh, more isolation than we, much more isolation than we were used to and that we would otherwise have, do, I mean, done, you know, like. Um, yeah. And so I wonder if 2020 hadn't happened, the pand- pandemic hadn't happened and, and our and our professional and creative lives and our personal lives had gone in different directions where we might be today. I, I wonder also about the role of using that time because I thought of you at that time as taking that time to go right things that you wanted to write together. Like I thought you were having like a fun, creative retreat together. I wonder about the role of that and kind of building that intimacy creatively in that slightly different capacity because you were previously running a events business together, very high end events business. Everyone holler at them <laughs> for your high end book events. Yeah, I mean, we were, um, we were but, working together creatively, but not in, in such a tier point, like intense fashion until really the all those professional aspects were removed by necessity so then our full-time work was was just creating together and we were already writing you know, we already had a, a, some scripts done at that point that we had co-written but yeah, yeah I do think like uh, I do definitely think that um creative collaboration um is a form of intimacy and it is it, it the degree to which we experienced that that year I mean we it was our first time being full-time like full-time writers and what you said is true you described it that the impression is that you know we were like sort of on a creative adventure and we were writing and we were um experiencing having this like full-time artist life um it was also true that we were sort of um just reacting to a complete like disaster really it was like we had no sense of whether our business would ever return what would you know I, I and for me like leaving new york i didn't have a sense of whether we would retur- return to new york even which was really difficult because i've spent my entire adult we both have our entire adult lives here and we just put our stuff in storage and then it was like we might be back in a month we might be back in a year we might n- not ever because we're not just living together and just living our day-to-day as you might a, a roommate we're also living together and coming together to do work and having to tell each other like, yeah, I know you've worked all day on that, but that's actually <laughs> But we got to throw it out. <laughs> <laughs> None of that. None of, not one thing is usable. Yeah, right. Yeah. As a friend who stayed in New York and saw a lot of people leave during the pandemic and was terrified that people like you would not come back, I was so <laughs> grateful that you did come back. But overall, my impression is that both of you are extremely flexible, right, in the service of your creative vision. If it had made more sense for you to do that, in order to further your creative pursuits, you would have done so in some way. And I wonder what led you to decide that like late summer 2022 was the time that you wanted to come back, come back and also pursue getting pregnant. 
we really decided in 2021, right before we moved back to New York was when we decided that now is the time, let's just do it. And that was very, <laughs> that was sort of capricious in the sense that we didn't have a plan for when we were returned. We didn't know whether we would be still doing the same things professionally. We were just kind of like, well, it seems like there's at least enough kind of stirrings of, of, um, things happening in, in, in our fields that we could like, we could figure something out. So that was, we didn't really have a strong plan for that. So, but, but at the same time, it was kind of one of these things where, um, that truism, like there's never a good time to have kids, you know, and it's like, do we wait until we feel super settled, resettled in our new professional life? And, um, I think maybe that would have been true if we hadn't just had everything decimated in 2020, but then it was like, well, nothing is guaranteed to us. Like nothing is assured. We could be, we could think that we had our shit completely together and then, and then it, then it could all be taken away as fast as it was taken away in March, 2020. So, um, what's the point of waiting for some, um, future point of stability before we, we pursue this thing, if we want to do it, like, that's how I felt. Maybe, maybe that's not how you felt, but we went to Detroit, we went to Cape Cod, we landed in New Orleans and we did all of those things without having a, a next plan. When we left Cape Cod, we went to New Orleans and we thought we'd leave. We booked a place to March. We got to March. We still liked it. We booked a place to April. We got to April. We booked a place. Till June. Yeah. So we kept going until we left in October. And we were talking about children in New Orleans. And I think we were talking about having children in the same way we were thinking about the not knowing what the future (laughs) is going to be but not letting that prevent us for, do, for, for doing something that we know we want to do. Yeah. That's really a wonderful way of talking about it. And also it makes me think about this idea of queer futurity that like Jose Munoz writes about and that I learned about through Joe Osmondson. Um, but basically this idea that, you know, if we don't have reproductive children, maybe our creative acts or our professional acts mm. or our chosen family are our contribution to humanity. Yeah. Um, and maybe if we have children, they're part of that, but they're not the only contribution that we're making, right? And so thinking about, you know, the way that you're thinking about the uncertainty around the futurity of all of these pieces, not just your creative life, but also of potential reproduction, um, feels like it fits within that, that, that kind yeah. of lens. Mm-hmm. Having other responsibilities, and especially a child, will change the trajectory of my life and it will require commitments. I don't presume that I know where I'm sitting right now that like I have something in me that will not become better or richer or different than by including something else in my life that I find meaningful. So I guess I'm saying that I just don't want to shy away from doing anything in my life if I find it meaningful for fear that that it something else other part of my life suffers well, i don't I think, understand how I, mean, that I think that's be. a huge that's a that's a bigger topic too because like i have had that fear quite a lot specifically about children um and the idea that i think this is maybe just a theme in um literature or art that it's like that particularly as a woman you have the opportunity to create either great art or children and those are exclusive to each one another, you know, and, um, and I really bought very, very deeply into that idea that if I have a child, then all my creative energies and my like ability to generate things, it becomes channeled into that, um, 
and therefore at the, at the expense of my creative self and my creative life. And, um, you know, and that, that honestly is a still fear of mine. That's like a big fear. And that's sort of my biggest fear around having children is, is to lose that, to lose my creative self. And I very much like, I, I love hearing you say that because I think that is true that it's like, you know, these are, these are life experiences that make you, that make your life richer, that make you a better artist, that make you a better person. Um, not, you know, children particularly, but like, living life fully and like doing the things you want to do are all, um, important to sort of becoming a better person, richer person. And that makes you a better artist. Um, and I have to believe that that is true because, um, because I want that to be true. I, I totally believe that that's true. And I also believe that for children, we may believe that because we, as children saw that we mm-hmm. saw our parents compromise themselves for us in ways that might not have been necessary, yeah. right? Or might have taught us something that was actually potentially damaging about what parenthood meant or what intimacy meant, right? Or what that sacrifice. It, that um, it was like, yeah. oh, well, then I, as the woman, sacrifice myself for my children or for my partner, mm-hmm. and therefore that makes those prospects less appealing, <laughs> right? And it makes it less appealing to be in a partnership or to be in a parenting role. Do you feel that that shifted for you or do you feel that you chose to manage those feelings differently? Um, the latter, I think. I mean, cause we don't know what the, what the, uh, what it's going to look like in reality of, you know, and I don't think we can, um, plan for it, uh, as much as we might want to be able to plan for it. And we'll just have to see what that looks like. When I observe other people who have had children, I think there's a lot of just the determination of what you, how you want things to go. And if you're determined that, that your life will include, you know, certain things, then, then you rearrange your life to make those things possible. Um, so it's really just about the, the mindset, um, more than, more than anything else. It's just like, well, I know that it's very important to me. I do know that I fear the loss of my creative uh, life and my creative time, my creative self. So that means then that that's just something that I have to be sure that I'm protecting really fiercely uh, on the other side of on the other side of this with the with the kid, you know. And I think um, when I look at other parents in my life, uh, I think that provides a really great example for their for their kids of you know that their mother or their parent does have things that they are good at and things that are important to them that are outside of this direct relationship and seeing seeing their parent prioritize those things I think is I mean it's it's probably difficult when they're very little and they don't they can't process that but um but I think it is important in general I had sort of thought oh you planted the seed of this you know in I assumed 2020 2019 the real answer right and that you planted the seed of this and it was something you were planning all along and you were just like low key planning it and like not talking about it. And then one day it was like ready to come to fruition. And you were like, we, here it is. We debut this idea, which we have been planning all along. (laughs) And in fact, it seems like there was an intention to just not close the door to this opportunity. And then some gradual decisions uh, and gradual warming to the idea of children so as i remember it our initial conversations were that and memory fails me of how we got 
to this place. My guess is that we were a couple of drinks in some <laughs> bar south of 14th Street in 20, early 2015. Yeah. Um, and I said, you know, yeah, I think I'd like to be a parent. You know, it's sort of me like understanding this. And from there, there were conversations that were had, you know, sporadically. It wasn't like a, a particular topic of conversation all the time. But at some point, Amrita said, well, you know, if you want to be a father, I'm open to um, helping you do that. Meaning not being a parent, but providing, you know, the surrogacy. Surrogacy, thank you. Essentially, that is the word. yeah. And because uh, she said, I don't, I don't, it's I don't want to be a mom, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and like, but and I, I said, I'm happy to be a single parent. I wouldn't mind peripherally being involved in the life of someone else's child if you know. I so have that was where to... that started, yeah. and I was, and I always said, you can be as involved as it's not important to me to be a single parent. Um, you can be as involved as you want to be. I, the only caveat there being it had to be decided how much you were going to be involved and it had right. to be consistent. Yeah. Any level, as long as it was decided beforehand and was not going to, couldn't change. It's not and, like you opt in and then you can just And then like, like the baby's there that, yeah. oh, I actually want to be a mom. Well, you should <laughs> fucking talk about that yeah. beforehand. <laughs> um, the, the through line was not that we, uh, we knew we wanted to do this together as equal co-parents from the start. That was not at all. That was a very recent part of the, the equation. Um, it was very much like, again, very early, like, oh yeah, maybe it's a surrogate thing. Um, and then, but then even as recently as when we were freezing the embryos, the, the thought, the thought was that, uh, no, the child is going to be custodially Andrews, fully Andrews, and I will be an interested adult that is, uh, nearby. <laughs> Right, uh, available to help um, a bonus a bonus adult, if you will, but not a parent. Um, and we had not, before the pandemic and before living together, we had not had a conversation or really envisioned us living in the same space. Space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you think that is part of why you came to envision yourself as a more involved parent? I don't not not necessarily because I still don't think we have like we haven't decided that we're going to now live together for as long as the, you know we're co-parenting for that, 18 years 18 years that might not be that in the cards it is right now and it's going to be convenient for the <laughs> infant phase um so no I don't I don't think so I think um it was just sort of the gradual understanding of a parenting uh format that looks different from what um what you know i traditionally had conceived of so So, amrita's mentioned that her fears are about losing her creative self or like the energy and capacity to allow her creative self to to take space up um what about you andrew generally i am typically hardest on people who are close to me and very understanding and permissive of people who I don't know (laughs) because who cares about them? (laughs) But the more I care about people, the higher standard I hold for them, Mm -hmm. which is not always healthy because it's also, I also hold myself to a standard that's impossible. So my greatest fear is holding my children to a standard at all. And I know I can do that in one way, but there are just like so many subtle ways that you send messages that we all send messages. 
And so my deepest fear is subtly communicating to my children um, that I have expectations for them that are beyond the expectations I intend to have for them. And the expectations I intend to have for them primarily have to do with them being citizens in the world and their being in relationship to other people and understanding other people. And being nice, being kind. Fundamentally. And trying their best. Beyond <laughs> that, my greatest fear is communicating to a kid that I have an expectation of who they are and what they'll do and who they'll be. I know that we've talked about both of you framing this not as an opportunity trade-off of any kind, but I think that it has been, or you've both told me in different ways that you've focused less on your perspective, romantic relationships mm-hmm. during this time. And I wonder how you think about that. It is evolving as this baby becomes realer and realer and this umbrella becomes bigger and bigger. <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> it's all happening. Um, it's evol- It's evolving. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think we need to do a deeper dive about the romantic yeah, side we, of things. Yeah, There's we, a lot to talk we, about. <laughs> I look forward sure. to that. And what excites you most about parenthood and the arrival of your little one? I am just even just now like sort of still coming to the realization that this is really happening and that, you know, he's a real person. And and I mean, I'm, of course, like in the longer term, I think I'm really excited about getting to know this new person who we have no idea like what his personality is going to be like and you know we we joke about what we think his personality will be like based on nothing other than like he's gonna be a Taurus he's gonna be a cozy person like he's gonna you know maybe he's gonna be a jock like or you know things like that and I just think that that has been really fun the speculation um I mean of course we'll be excited no matter what like what type of person he turns out to be but um but I'm excited to see how that like see how that happens and see see what type of person he, he is and becomes. I'm excited about two elements, one related to him, one related to me. They're all related. They're all interrelated. Though, but <laughs> uh, in a small way, I'm excited about all the small things, like the, the, the whatever, uh, seeing the world through this little person, their eyes as they grow and new things that they get to see. <laughs> I'm excited about the family traditions, um, especially the ones that won't strike Amrita and I as traditions because we're grown adults, but we'll be like, we'll do it for three years and then he'll be like, are we not going to do that again? So I'm excited for all like the little ordinary everyday elements. Uh, and I'm also excited, uh, as hard as it will be, I'm excited that for the challenge in revisiting who I think I am. He's also going to turn around and tell me what he sees of me. Mm. And I'm excited for that. Mm. Even if what he says, I'm like, oof. I think your little guy's going to be very lucky to have you and to have our whole chosen family, which you have yes. orchestrated yeah. for him. Yes. Yeah, that's, that is definitely true. In our next episode, we will get into the gritty details of embryo freezing, the clinic, the hurdles, the cost, and the disgusting porn in the sperm bank collection room. In the meantime, you can find us at vjandstevens.com. That's V-I-J-A-Y and Stevens with a P-H. We're at vjandstevens on Instagram. 
And you can find Marina at marinaweiss.com. <laughs>